right, how we doing? Good, good. Dude, uh, let's just take a quick moment to thank the band. How much did, I mean, Kendall and, and the band, awesome. Ryan and Elijah, I told Kendall as she came off, she played my favorite song right now, that gratitude song that they opened up with. Like, again, I sang it at the start, right? Got a line inside of my lung. Like, I just, I, I sing that song and I just start jumping and saying, come on, come on. Like, it gets me so excited for Jesus. So, I know, I'm weird, I get it, I understand. Uh, how'd y'all sleep last night? Not at all? Dude, be honest, any snorers in your uh, rooms? Dude, point them out, just point them out, that's cool. That's awesome. Uh, dude, when I was like, uh, I, I don't know how old I was, but I was at camp, I was actually at Sugar Pine, and this dude, okay, so in the old days, like, I don't know, do y'all, you got top bunks, and they got railings, right? Oh, okay, so look, when I was a kid, that's how it was too, so cool, you're in my thing. So I'm sleeping on the bottom bunk, and across the way, there's a dude sleeping on a, a bunk on the top, and listen, he's a big dude, I'm just, I'm, I, okay, he's a big dude, I don't know how else to say this. And I'm a little dude. And so anyway, I'm sleeping here, and this dude's sleeping. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I hear. <laughs> and you know how it is. When there's a snore in there, like, you can't sleep. And I'm like, you know, trying to put my pillow over. I'm just like mad. I'm like praying that God would kill him. I mean, uh, that God would like, you know, stop his snoring something. No railings, right? Do you know where this story's going? The dude, in the middle of the night, all of a sudden, rolls off the bunk and land splat next to me. And I'm like, God, I didn't really mean I wanted you to kill him. Like, I'm like, uh, but he stopped snoring. It was great for about 10 seconds. And then he starts right next to me the rest of the night sleeping on the floor. Like, I, yeah, anyway, that was my experience with. Uh, grab your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians 4, 18. Now, last night, I told you this was kind of the theme uh, that we're going to be going through, and I almost skipped the whole first verse. It tells you something about me. Uh, so go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be here for a while. Uh, in fact, like if you've got a bookmark or something, leave it in here, because kind of throughout today, we're, we're going to jump out of it, and then we're going to come back into it, and then we're going to be right back into it tonight and into uh, tomorrow. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 18. Now, Last night, we kind of talked a little bit about the, the, the formula of how we find our identity, and first, we really need to understand of who God is, and then ultimately, who God created us to be, right? This process of recrafting is this process of the old going away and the new coming in, that God is forming in us, creating in us a new creation. We saw the video last night where God is, is a potter, and, he's, and he's, he's molding this clay. He's molding you, and then tonight, or today, we saw this whole conversation concept of God or, or, or a way that uh, the metal can get formed and transformed. And that is what God wants to do in us when we understand who he is and who he created us to be. Let's start in uh, verse 18. So Paul says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. Now, let me just give you just a quick little context on this because you kind of might read through that and you're like, hey, yo, Chip, that, that's not me at all. So I, I don't know what, why this would apply to me. 
So here's the thing is that Paul in this passage is speaking to the church in Ephesus, right? I told you, he, he had planted churches and then he went out and he would write letters back to encourage these different churches. And so he's writing this specifically to uh, the church in Ephesus and, and, and a lot of the, the Greeks who had started to um, rebel against God in their different actions. And not only that, but Paul here is speaking to very specific sins that the people in the church of Ephesus were committing at the time. And here's our tendency, I think, sometimes, and especially, I'm sure, because you all go to a Christian school that a lot of you have grown up in the church. And so what starts to happen sometimes is we read these stories and we think, ah, I've read this before, ah, this doesn't really apply to me, uh, whatever. Um, and here's the thing that I think that's dangerous to do is, is that we can't just think, well, hey, this doesn't speak to me because I'm not dealing with that exact thing. See, this is what I think Paul's doing and where it applies to us right now, is that what Paul's doing to the church in Ephesus is the same thing that he's doing to us, is that he's drawing a clear line in the sand, and he's saying this, either you live for Jesus or you don't. Either you live for Jesus or you live in your sin. There's no straddling the fence. My grandma she used to always say this because um, she grew up with a lot of boys, and then she told this to my boys. She would say, boys, you might not want to straddle the fence because that's what's going to hurt the most. Does it make sense? Do you understand how that works? You can see how she says that to boys and not girls. Oh, now it's done. You want me to say it again so that you understand? Okay, Grandma used to say, uh, boys, you might not want to straddle the fence, but that's always going to hurt the most. Make sense? So here's the thing. We can't straddle the fence. Guys, girls, what Paul's saying is you cannot live in both worlds. For many of us, that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to straddle the fence. We're trying to live in a world where we're trying to glorify God, and yet we're trying to hold on to our sin. Sin. I want to talk about tonight. Sin. I feel the sin coming on. Anybody? Miranda Lambert? Yes. One person knew. You know what, I need to start figuring out my jukebox to be a little bit more current. Sorry, anyway, okay, so, uh, so sin, let's talk about sin. Um, just, you don't have to raise your hand on this, just tell me, how would you define sin? Not what are specific sins, but how would you define sin? Anyone. This is not school, just speak up, please. Okay, something that doesn't honor God, okay. Short of the glory of God, okay, what else? Unholy, right, unholy. Anybody else? Missing Not doing the right thing, what? Missing perfection. Missing perfection, that's unholiness, right? That's awesome. Okay, so we know sin a little bit. We know sin pretty well. Let's figure this out biblically. Turn back to Genesis 2. Again, keep your place in Ephesians 4, but go back to Genesis 2, and let's figure out how sin came into the world in the first place if we're gonna really understand what sin is. Genesis 2 Verses 16, we're going to start in 16. So, we know creation, right? In the beginning, God. God created time. God created the world. He breathed it into existence. He breathed life into Adam and Eve. And then we see in verse 16, uh, this next thing that he says to him. And he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, 
you shall surely die. So God gives specific instructions. Look, you get to enjoy the garden like and everything that's in it. God created Adam and Eve for perfection in a perfect relationship with him, right? And he gives them one instructions, like just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do, you gotta trust me, like you can't handle that knowledge. You can't handle the truth. They can't handle it. And God knew it. And then look at verse, uh, look at, go to Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we can eat of the fruits of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, <laughs> you're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And so she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Can I just put to bed, uh, boys, sometimes we try to like blame the girls that sin into the world because Eve ate the fruit first. Uh, where was Adam at that time? With her. He was right there with her. That's right. So, look, we're all to blame for sin coming in the world. But this is that moment when sin comes into the world. They ate it, says their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked. See, Adam and Eve sinned. Now, just going back to what we were talking about yesterday with God's omniscience, um, did Adam and Eve's sin catch God off guard? Did it? No, right? Because God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knew that that was going to happen uh, way before it actually happened. Um, go back to Ephesians for a second. Um, Paul said that they were darkened in their understanding, as he describes Ephesians, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them due to the hardness of their heart. I think sin in its form is when we, is when we who are non-omniscient people, who don't know everything, who are not omniscient, think that we know better than God who is omniscient. Let me say that again. Okay, sin is when we think that we, non-omniscient people, know better than an omniscient, all-knowing God. Isn't that crazy to think about when you just break it down that simply? That we actually think that we can know better than God? Um, None of you guys are parents yet, right? That's, okay. Um, good. Uh, Eli, I was telling you, you know, we're a big baseball family, and Eli was playing baseball. Uh, he was probably like 12, because it was before we got into the big bases. And I told you, Eli, my youngest, is like crazy, like, he just he claps, he's, he goes at the speed of sound. I mean, he's just, guy's crazy, okay? And one day, he's on third base, and he's like clapping it up, and he's doing the... You know, trying to, you know, get the pitcher going and all that stuff. And one day, one day, I'm coaching third base, and he's on third. And all of a sudden, he, like, gets a lead off. And this is all he says to me is, Dad, I'm going. I'm like, going? What do you mean going? Like, oh, no, 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 please don't tell me. There's a right-handed batter in the box who doesn't know that he's going. So what he was saying is that he was going to try to steal home on the pitch. Now, can you kind of see this picture here? batter in the box does not know my little 12-year-old son is coming down the line. And so sure enough, Eli says, dad, I'm going. And I'm like, no, 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 as he's running down. And as a father, 
this moment I thought my child was going to die. Because I see as he's running in and he's going in to slide, the right-handed batter, the pitch comes, and the batter, right-handed batter starts to take a big old swing. And I, I'm telling you in that moment, I like, my kid's just going to die. Like all I saw was the bat just cremating his head. Like it was horrible, <laughs> right? And the thing is, is like I'm yelling down the line, no, 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 no. Why? Because I'm his father and his coach. I knew what was best. And that seems a little extreme, but that's how our relationship is with God. Like, there's so many things that God sets up in our life that we can live this perfect, beautiful, amazing, wonderful life that's full of pure joy and true joy in him. And yet we try to choose these things that we think are going to provide more joy and happiness. We think we know what's best. We think we know more than an all-knowing, omniscient God. At the end of the day, this is really how I like to define it is that sin is when we trust ourselves over trusting God. If you're writing something down, write that down. Sin is when we trust ourselves over trusting God. It goes back to what Paul said. He said, due to the hardness of their hearts. See, that's what this is. Sin is a heart issue. Don't tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart. Anyone? Billy Ray Cyrus? Miley Cyrus's dad? Oh, what? You didn't know Miley Cyrus's dad was a famous country singer? Okay, anyway. Listen, I really need to work on my, my jukebox. I get it. Okay, anyway. Okay, back to the heart. Back to the heart. Okay, so here's the thing. Sin is a product of our heart. It's when we think that we can trust ourselves over trusting God. Now, look, I know that some of y'all might be sitting there going like, hey, Chip, come on, bro. I'm not that bad. Like, I'm not, dude, I don't do bad stuff. Like, I'm, I'm a good kid. Like, you know, for the most part. Here's the thing that I want you to remember, though. Paul quotes the psalmist in Romans 3, and he says that no one is righteous. No, not one. And that we are all guilty, that we are all sinners, that we all fall short of God's plans for us. Every single sin separates us from God, from the smallest to the biggest, and we're all sinners. Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Cool, hands down. Raise your hand if you've never sinned. Oh, this is so good. When I teach this to junior high, there's like, you know, 17, you know, punk junior high boys. I'm like, okay, well, you just lied. Now you're a sinner. Welcome to the club. Here we go, right? We're all sinners, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. On our own accord, on our own merit, on our own efforts, we fall short of God's plans for us. Let me just break in for a second as we're talking about what sin is. Let's look at what sin isn't for just a moment. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So if you're in Ephesians, go back just a hair. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. If you're not there, it's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Of course I'm going to read it. I'm up here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let me just, just say this, that at the end of the day, being tempted to sin is not sin, right? 
If you know uh, the Gospels at all and you know Jesus' life, you know that Jesus himself was tempted, that Satan actually had him out in the wilderness in the desert and tempted him. Uh, and, and, and Jesus with, withstood that temptation uh, by quoting scripture. At the end of the day, Jesus was perfect. He never sinned, but he was tempted. And so we in our lives too are always going to be tempted to sin, um, but being tempted is not sinning. Now, sin becomes sin when we make a choice to sin. Look, life is gonna be full of tempting situations, but God will always provide a way out. As my grandma used to say, and this is a real quote of hers, I am not making this up, and she said it exactly this way, own your own poo-poo. <laughs> yes, I know, that's actually what she said though. She'd say, Christopher, that's my real name by the way, Christopher, please don't call me that, I hate that name, but anyway, I'm being vulnerable with you. Christopher, own your own poo-poo. Look, my grandma's from Oklahoma, so don't blame her, it's just the way that she is. But she used to say that as a way of saying that, listen, man, you've got to own what you do. You've got to own your own sin. Listen, we are all tempted to sin, but we choose to sin. And part of God's desire is to transform us into something new, but we need to be able to understand that we choose to sin. We don't get to blame someone else. We gotta own our own poop. Um, and here's the reality is that you are going to fail. James 1 14 to 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire has, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. It's enticed by our own desires. And here's the problem with sin, is that our sin ultimately brings death. Death is eternal separation from God. That's what we call hell, and I need you to understand, like, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. There is a consequence for your sin. Sin is death, eternal separation from God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, the cost of your sin, just your little sin, your one sin, the fact that you all raised your hand and said you're sinners, the cost of it is death, eternal separation from God. Man, I do not want that from anybody. And I need you to understand that God hates sin. I mean, God hates sin. I mean, like worse than Taylor Swift ex-boyfriend kind of hate, right? Never, ever, ever getting back together. Okay, is that a little more current? Like, no, dude, I'm just terrible at this. Okay, uh, T-Swift. Did anybody go to the T-Swift concert the other day? I'm sorry about that. That's, I saw all these people posting on there, like, I went to the T-Swift concert. I'm like, you poor soul. Like, that feels like sinning, right, just in the first place. Anyway, you know why? Because she was a country music singer, and she gave her soul over to the devil and went into the pop culture. That's why I hate T-Swift. Oh, I shouldn't hate it. Anyway, okay, moving along. Uh, God hates sin. God hates sin. Let, I, I appreciated Kendall this morning kind of sharing her story. Can I be vulnerable with you for just a second? Like, I, I feel like um, in this journey over the last few months, like, I've really learned that being vulnerable with people is such a healing moment. Like, um, it's so good. And so uh, I told you all that I quit my job, that I quit my job as a pastor. And I, I need you to know that some of it was because there was some sin in my life that I felt. Now, listen, nothing like, you know, 
too extravagant, so don't jump to anything. Like, I didn't kill anybody and hide them in a fridge or, you know, like, cheat on my wife or anything like that. Like, okay. But I had some bitterness and anger in my heart that had been building up over time. And, and it was this sin that was just, like, holding on to me, and it would, like, almost own me, and it was controlling me. Like, and I was holding on to this, this sin, and the reality was, is a lot of the reason why it was happening is because I was trying to trust myself instead of trusting God. And I thought that like being bitter and angered and complaining about the situation that I was in was, was good for me because, I mean, I could be in control of my own life and control of how I was feeling and experiencing. But man, I was falling short of God's plan for me because I was trying to trust myself instead of trusting God. Here's the thing, and this is what I've been learning so much over the past couple of months. Sin causes separation from the intimacy that God built you to have with him. See, we talked about how God created you yesterday, and God was made you to be loved by him and to love him, to be in this amazing, perfect relationship. And, and God built you to have an intimate relationship. Think about how crazy that is for a second. The God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, who breathed the world into existence, who created you, wants to have an intimate relationship with little you. Like, it, it, isn't that mind-blowing to think about? The omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing God, eternal God, wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And yet sin is what causes this separation from the intimacy that we can have with him. And God's desire is for you to have that with him. God's desire in John 10, 10 says that, that you live life, and not just life, but life abundantly, full of joy, full of true joy. And so, so sin separates us from that. So here's the thing, if we know that, if we know the consequences of sin, why on earth do we sin? Like, shouldn't we know better? Like, don't, have you ever felt like, have you ever said that to God? Like, I don't know why I sin, like I know better. I know, I wanna have intimacy with God. Well, a couple things. One, we sin because it's fun. Am I right? It's okay, you can agree with me. Like this isn't, you know, is sin fun? Yes, because listen, we wouldn't ever sin in the first place if we didn't think it was better than what God had planned for us. Like we have this warped sense of God or whatever, and so we think, oh, listen, if I sin, if I do this, it's gonna bring me jo more joy in my life. Why do we think that? Well, we, I don't know, because we think that it's fun, because we enjoy it. The other thing is this, is that all of us, are born into sin nature. So you know how you have genetics, like, okay, you have red hair, right? I assume that somebody in your family above you has red hair, am I right? No? Yes, okay. Like, this is the way genetics works, right? Like, uh, your parents pass on things down to you. So if you have red hair, blue eyes, uh, the color of your skin, different things are passed down genetically down to you, okay? Uh, this is true with our sin as well. When Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, it created a sin nature in all of us that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Um, I was talking to you about Ty, my, my, my middle child the other day, and listen, Ty is the most amazing, like humble, wonderful kid. He wants to be a missionary, like he loves Jesus more than anybody I know. Like the kid is amazing, but he wasn't always that way. 
Does any, anybody have a younger sibling that's like, you know, two or three or whatever? Okay, just younger, like a super younger sibling. You, have you ever seen younger siblings or remember when you were this way? Like, dude, we just naturally sin. Like, we're born into it. Like, we're selfish. Um, Ty, as good as he is, when he was a kid, uh, Eli, they're 15 months apart, and Eli was like one, and Ty was like two and a half, just a little toddler, and little punk Ty would walk over all the time, like t- um, he would be eating dry Cheerios in a bowl on his like, uh, high chair, and Ty, when Tara, my wife, wasn't looking, he would walk up, and he'd flip the bowl off the table when Tara wasn't looking, and then he'd run and hide so that my wife would get mad at Eli. Eli, why did you dump your Cheerios again? And, then t- and Ty would do that all the time. It was like a full like six months or something that he, the dude did it like almost every day before Tara realized that it was Ty that was sneaking. Like, dude, like, Ty's an awesome kid, but he was born into sin nature too, like naturally to our own desires, like we sin. Why? Because Ty thought it was funny to get his brother in trouble. We all have this embedded nature to trust ourselves over God. It's the curse of Adam and Eve's sin. Um, one of the great pastors, uh, Charles Spurgeon, says, At, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It's so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. We are all born into sin. And like I said, this sin is an issue with your heart. It's your heart's desire. We choose to do that because we think we know better than God. And let me just tell you, you're not alone in this. Uh, Paul, our buddy Paul, actually says in Romans 7, 15 to 20, he says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not, uh, for I do, not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what keeps going on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. See, there is a battle in each and every one of us, right? You're not alone in this. There's this constant, like, remember those old cartoons where, like, the little angel is sitting on the shoulder and the little devil's sitting on the shoulder? Okay, that's a bunch of junk. Okay, that's not how it works. But you have a sin nature in you that is constantly battling. Galatians 5, we're going to talk about tomorrow, lays out this whole thing that there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. In fact, Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's a way that we try to straddle the fence. We try to have it both ways. And when we try to straddle the fence, man, all we do is get hurt. You can't straddle the fence. Sin just brings death. It brings eternal separation from God. And it's not just about that. It actually hurts you from the blessings that you can have on this earth, in this life. I want to finish uh, with a story. And uh, this is something that happened with me when I was, I think I was about 10 or 11. And uh, anybody have like a rule, a real like handy dad or mom, like loves to fix things, like do stuff. So my dad uh, is a carpenter, like super good. And he's got this garage just full of tools. All right. Anybody got a parent that's got just tons of tools? Yeah. So as a kid growing up, like I wanted to be like my dad. Right. And, and so I was jealous of all these tools and stuff that he had. And um, 
we went one day to a hardware store. And again, I was a little kid. It's December, and so it happened to be super cold, and I'm wearing a big parka, and we, we go to the hardware store, and we're walking around, and my dad's shopping for some stuff, and, and I'm kind of walking around, and I see this bin of screwdrivers. Nothing special, just some screwdrivers. But this screwdriver had a black and orange handle. Now, one of the things I didn't tell you is I am a diehard San Francisco Giants fan. Thank you. I assume that this was safe because you all are from Modesto. Oh my gosh. Raise your hand if you're a Dodger fan. Daddy, we take a moment to please ask for forgiveness for their sins. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, so I'm a giant. I listen, I get it. The Dodgers are way better than the Giants. Like, I, I get it. Okay. But listen, I'm a diehard Giants fan, and I saw this black and orange handled screwdriver. And so I went up to my dad. Listen, this is like 1980-something, and, and, and so the screwdriver cost like 50 cents or something like that. Actually, I know how much it cost. It cost $2, okay? And so it was like $2 for this Phillips head black and orange handled screwdriver. And so I tell my dad, Dad, I want to be like you. Can I get this screwdriver? And my dad's like, I have a billion screwdrivers. You can have one of mine. Like, and I'm like, I want it for myself. And he's like, no, 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 no. So we go back around the store, and somehow we loop around, and we get back to this, and my dad goes to the register to start paying for all this stuff, and I'm wandering around. I took the screwdriver. I took the screwdriver, I stole it. It was the first thing I ever stole in my life. I wish it was the last, but I stole some baseball cards one time too, but we're not gonna tell that part of the story. Okay, listen, I stole the screwdriver, the stupid screwdriver that cost $2. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I did. Why? Because I have a sin nature and I thought it would be fun to own my own black and orange handled screwdriver. And I put it in there, and here's what's crazy is, so that night, I, I get home, and like I panic like when I get home, because I'm like, I stole something? And I panic, and I take the screwdriver out, and I throw it into my closet. I don't hide it in my closet, I throw it randomly into my closet. So I go to school, I come home, and my mom, now what you need to understand about my mom is we call her Susie Cleanup, because she cleans up everything. Anybody have a mom that's like that? Gosh, I mean, you love her for it, and yet you hate, like, ah. Mom, where is that thing? So she goes into my closet and she grabs the screwdriver and she thinks that it's my dad's, like that, you know, one of my dad's. So she puts it on my dad's workbench. Um, I have baseball that night, so I don't come home till later. And my dad comes home before me and he goes into work in the garage and he sees this black and orange handled screwdriver, right? My dad knows exactly where it came from. I am dead, D-E-D, dead. I am like host. So I come home and my, my mom and dad had already talked about it. And so here was what my punishment was. All right, dude, I mean, raise your hand if you think I got spanked. Uh, yeah, you know that's not happening. Uh, raise your hand if, uh, dude, I'm, why, why are we taking a poll here? I'll tell you what happened. Um, so my dad said, your punishment is that you have to pay for the screwdriver. You're gonna have to march your skinny little behind back over to the store. You're gonna have to tell the store clerk what you did, 
And then you're going to pull out your own $2 and you're going to pay for that screwdriver. I don't know why this was so devastating to me, but I was devastated. I'm like, Dad, please just spank my rear end. Like, it'll be so much less painful. Like, I was, and that, that was what he wanted. So sure enough, we go down to, the, to the, the store. I got the screwdriver in hand. I got my $2 in hand. I am so scared, y'all, so scared. And then the most amazing thing happened. And I'll tell you about it tonight. Yes, I love cliffhangers. It's so cool though. It's so, it's the raddest thing ever, I'll tell you tonight, all right? But, hey, I don't, listen, I know this is a bummer of a message because A, I gave you a cliffhanger to end, and B, because we talked about sin, and sin sucks. Like, sin is a horrible thing. But tonight, we're gonna flip it, and we're gonna talk about God's plan with our sin. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Daddy, it was just for a quick moment. I mean, we, we got a whole day in front of us, and, and I don't want to dwell on our sin, but Psalm 139, 23, David says to you, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there are any grievous ways in me. And so you know that that's been a big part of my heart right now is, is Daddy, to to search me and know me. And so I pray over these students. Um, maybe it's not in this moment, but maybe it's not even later today, but throughout this year that they would take the time to actually ask you to search them, to know their heart, to know the, the evil, the sin that is in their heart because you desire to recraft and mold and form and transform us. But we gotta acknowledge our sin first. So help us to be honest with you. You already know it all anyway. So help us to search. Help us to lay it at your feet and be honest with you in our sin. And we're excited for tonight as we talk about your plan for us. In Jesus' name we amen.